Uh, hey y'all, apologies off the top for the audio quality here. Uh, I was having some issues getting the audio edited uh, for this episode, also recorded it in a little bit of a different place than usual, so uh, enjoy. Good morning, and thank you for starting your day with a six-pack, the Scotty Six-Pack, the only podcast that's bringing you the top stories in Wisconsin sports every single day. Plus, we do it in less time than it takes to complete your morning commute. I'm your host, Kedrick Stumbrus, and you can follow me on the Twitter at Kedrick Stumbrus and follow the podcast at Scotty Sixpack to get the latest updates in Wisconsin sports. This is a special episode because every Wednesday night before the first round of the NCAA tournament, I spend it hanging out with my younger brother, watching the second day of the first four, and that's who I have with us tonight. It is the first time that I am doing this podcast non-solo. So here is Isaac Stumbrus. Say what's up to the people, Isaac. What's up, people? Fantastic. Short, sweet. Love it. Uh, So let's talk about the top six stories in Wisconsin sports today. First, of course, is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I recapped him announcing his intentions on the Pat McAfee show yesterday to join the New York Jets. That is the exact verbiage that he used in that episode of the McAfee show was that he intends to play for the New York Jets. Of course, he does not control that in his entirety. The Green Bay Packers need to make that trade for Aaron Rodgers to go to the New York Jets. And that does not necessarily mean that the Green Bay Packers do not have leverage in that trade scenario. There have been some fans Uh, Some other creators that I've seen talk about the fact that there is no leverage left for the Packers to send Aaron Rodgers in a trade to the New York Jets because Aaron Rodgers came out and said that he wants to go there. Uh, I wholeheartedly disagree with this fact, and I talked about this a little bit on the episode yesterday, the emergency podcast episode released yesterday afternoon, Um, and I... Frankly, think that Aaron Rodgers just gave the Green Bay Packers all the leverage in this trade scenario. There is not anything materially that changed yesterday in the scenario in which Aaron Rodgers gets traded from the Green Bay Packers to the New York Jets. The only thing that changed was that Aaron Rodgers told the world that he wants to play for the New York Jets. There were at most 650,000 people watching the Pat McAfee show when it peaked yesterday in live time. Um, I was one of them. And regardless of whether or not Aaron Rodgers gets traded, he is forced to retire because he doesn't get traded, whatever, uh, the Packers have to eat a $40 million dead cap hit uh, regardless of if Aaron Rodgers goes to play for the Jets or if Aaron Rodgers does not play at all. Joe Namath. Uh, New York Jets legend who has his number 12 retired in the New York Jets organization said very publicly already that he is willing to to unretire his number 12 for Aaron Rodgers to wear that number 12 for the Jets already. This puts all the pressure on the New York Jets organization to complete this trade. There is no fan base in the world who is going to hear 
Aaron Rodgers wants to play for my team, our most legendary player in our franchise, is willing to give up his retired number for that quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, to play for my team, and then be willing to just eat a bag of dirt when the deal doesn't come through because their team is not willing to give up enough draft compensation for it and just say, okay, that's fine. Aaron Rodgers has put all the onus on the New York Jets front office by saying he wants to go play for New York because now that Jets fan fan base that is already as rabid as it gets in the NFL is even more rabid because they know they have Aaron Rodgers coming in as long as their front office isn't going to cheap out and close the deal. Uh, Peter Bukowski, who is a reporter that I really trust yesterday, uh, tweeted that based on the news that what he knows is that a deal has been close with the New York Jets. It was maybe including uh, pick number 43 in the upcoming NFL draft. That's the Jets' uh, second-round pick. And a future conditional pick, perhaps a future second, you know, high to mid-tier pick, uh, that could turn into a premium pick, perhaps a future first. And then Aaron Rodgers told the world that he wants to be a Jet, and Brian Gutekunst, the general manager of the Green Bay Packers, shot up the price for that pick. That tells me, that reporting tells me, that Aaron Rodgers telling the world he wants to be a Jet, firing up the New York Jets fan base, is doing exactly what I suspected that it would, that I talked about a little bit yesterday on the emergency episode of this podcast, was that leverage has not been given up by the Packers here. This is not a situation in which Rodgers has a no-trade clause, in which he has said he will only go to the Jets, in which he has an expiring contract. No. This is the Packers doing Rodgers a solid, sending him to the Jets if the Packers get what they want. And now, if the Jets don't give the Packers what they want, Packers can just eat that dead cat money because the Packers have to eat that dead cat money anyway. Uh, Isaac, what are you thinking about the world in which Aaron Rodgers is moving on? I talked about this a little bit in the emergency episode yesterday where my entire life, you know, 15 years of my life has known Aaron Rodgers as the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. You know, you as someone who is even younger than I am at 22 years old, that is basically your entire time as with formative memories of the Green Bay Packers knowing Aaron Rodgers as the starting quarterback. Where? How are you thinking about this tra- potential trade? How are you thinking about Aaron Rodgers moving on now? Tell me what you think, because I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, and it's it's kind of weird. I mean, like, some of my, like, earliest memories of the Packers definitely, like, involve Brett Favre, but they're dominated by, you know, Brett Favre's phony retiring and then (laughs) going to the Jets and then phony retiring and going to the Vikings. (laughs) So, like, this is just a situation that's that's all too familiar, and, and I do recognize that, like, at that point in time, the, the fan base was kind of done with, with Favre's toxicity, and I can see it happening again for, for similar yet also very different reasons with, with Rodgers. And, you know, as a, 
as a fan and as, you know, a part of the fan base, I definitely see us being done with Rodgers. I've seen it all all last season. And I, if I'm being honest, in, in all the in, in all the games that I've seen in person, I've actually only gotten to see Aaron Rodgers play twice. <laughs> you went but, to the you went to the Matt Flynn tie against yeah. the Vikings back mm-hmm. in the day. I remember yeah. that. And then I, I saw a game that Favre played um, when I was five years old. It's another another game when I was a teenager where he was injured. And then probably just Christmas Day. He played Christmas yeah, Day. Yeah, we went, we went and then, Christmas Day a year ago. And yeah. then I saw the, the Bears game in September this past season. So only only two times I've actually ever seen Rodgers play. So I don't know. I'm I'm really over all the hype for it, but the Packers have the leverage in the situation for sure. They yeah. can do whatever they want with it, even though Rodgers is trying to play GM of the Jets while he's <laughs> being the QB of the Packers. He doesn't have any real power in the situation. It's yeah. all up to Packers' leadership. Yeah, and you know, look, to, to kind of put a bow on just how you feel about Rodgers, I think regardless of how many times that anybody gets to see him in person, we all have to be thankful of seeing that kind of talent perform for a team that we love, a team for, that we want to see succeed. For as long as he has as well. It's yep. just not something... You know, you, you see it out of very few of the greats, you know, Favre, Brady, and Rodgers playing for unprecedented amounts of time, yep. you know, especially with the hard hits. Yeah, yeah. listen, I, I went and saw Rodgers play uh, back in November against the Dallas Cowboys in Lambeau Field, and that, it seems, will be the last time I ever see Aaron Rodgers play in person, unless I go to New York for some time uh, this upcoming season or later. Um, and that game will be one that I am forever grateful that I attended because that was in, an incredible show. Of, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, but also Christian Watson. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really, really a great time. I'm glad I got to see it. Glad I got to see a rivalry game for my last game. That's true. Um, so moving on, uh, let's talk about some University of Wisconsin basketball. Uh, in the NIT, uh, Wisconsin basketball, of course, defeated uh, Bradley, the Bradley Braves, 81-62 to in the first round of the NIT uh, the other night, and now plays Liberty, the Liberty Flames, in the second round at the Kohl Center. Uh, the time is not out yet for that game, but that will be Sunday uh, because the Wisconsin High School State Basketball Championships will be played uh, beginning tomorrow with the semifinals through Saturday at uh, the Kohl Center. So Wisconsin will host Liberty on Sunday in the second round of the NIT. And I talked about this in a previous episode of this podcast, actually, but Liberty is a team that in another year, perhaps, is absolutely good enough to be playing in the NCAA tournament. Uh, And uh, this is a team that if the bubble broke a different way, perhaps, if Liberty... Uh, picked up a couple more wins along the way, would be an at-large team in this year's NCAA tournament. Uh, they have incredibly good metrics uh, and predictive metrics at places like Bart Torvik, in the net, at Ken Palm. And they have a fantastic player, uh, a fantastic guard in Darius McGee, a senior who averages 22.6 points per game, which is the fourth highest mark in the country. He is a three-point sharpshooter who is 4.3 
3.5, three points per game, is second most in the country, only to Antoine Davis, who is the scoring leader nationwide in college basketball this year. And Darius McGee for Liberty is an AP All-American honorable mention. He is an incredibly, incredibly great player who, if Wisconsin cannot find a way to shut him down, uh, simply put, the Badgers will lose this game. Uh, There are very few games this season in which Darius McGee has not gone for uh, 15 to 20 points and have then led to a uh, Liberty win. Uh, Darius McGee powers this team. He's a fantastic player. He is one of the most used players per possession in college basketball uh, for his team, and Liberty needs him to go. And that means that Wisconsin needs to shut him down in order to figure out what's going to happen next. Um, And this Liberty team uh, plays very similar to Wisconsin. Of course, Wisconsin doesn't have that kind of go-to guy that Darius McGee is for the Liberty Flames, uh, but Liberty takes care of the ball, doesn't turn it over. The Flames limit offensive rebounds in the same way that the Badgers do, and uh, Liberty plays a slow-tempo offense that limits possessions overall. I think the biggest contrast between Liberty and Wisconsin in these two teams is that Liberty is just much, much better at making shots. They have a much higher field goal percentage. They are better from three. They are better from two. Uh, and I think everybody on uh, in, in Badgers fandom this year has been kind of disappointed in the way that Wisconsin has finished uh, shots around the rim in particular, looking at the way Tyler Wall finished in the paint last year compared to in the paint this year is a really good example of this. Uh, but I think in in contrast to that kind of example, where Liberty is good from two, where Wisconsin has not been perhaps up to snuff in the same way that they we, we as fans perhaps would have expected the Badgers to be, uh, is that Liberty is small. Uh, if you watched the first four, like uh, Isaac and I here have been doing tonight, and, and have shared this same kind of remark tonight, uh, commenting on Fairleigh Dickinson as uh, the the Knights, the 16 seed, are now advancing to play Purdue in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Fairleigh Dickinson is the smallest team in the country, ranks 363 out of 363, and now goes up against Zach Eadie, who is a 7'4", 300-pound, like, I, I do not mean this uh, in a derogative way, but monster. Uh, he's a huge human being, and Liberty is the second smallest team in the country. They rank 362 in average height, and that means, that tells me that Big Steve, Big Steven Crowell could feast in this game over a Liberty team that may just not be matched up quite well enough with the Badgers down low with how well Steven Crowell performed last time out, who performed, who, who gave the Badgers a career-high 36 points. Um, Stephen Crowell is 7 foot, 250 pounds, and Liberty's starting forwards, Blake Preston, is 6 foot, 9, 230 pounds, so that Stephen Crowell has 3 inches and 20 pounds on him. And Kyle Rode, who is 6 foot, 7, 220 pounds, uh, has, so Stephen Crowell has 5 inches, 220 pounds on him. Um, Isaac, tell me, are you at all 
interested in the NIT. I figure you did not watch this first round game the other night. I'm I'm very interested in beating Liberty University because <laughs> I truly hope your podcast is an anti-Jerry Falwell podcast. Um, I, so I did enter another um, bracket pool with uh, another writer, a great Badgers writer, um, great Badgers substacker. Uh, his name's Drew Ham. It's the Badgers Ball Knower Substack, which everyone on here should absolutely subscribe to. If you're a Badgers fan, he does Drew Ham does great work on there. And uh, my NIT bracket pool uh, entry was named Jerry Falwell Sucks. Yeah. So um, okay. yeah, yeah, very <laughs> I mean, it's, it's solely for like political ideological reasons. I hate Liberty University and Jerry Falwell. So anytime we get a chance to to beat Liberty University in basketball, I'll take it. Yeah, um, I'm invested in the Wisconsin Liberty University game. That's that's uh, that's good. Um, uh, cards on the table. I picked Liberty to win this game in that in that bracket pool, but also I uh, picked Rutgers to win the entire NIT, yeah. and uh, Rutgers lost the very Doesn't first game in the NIT. Out. So uh, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, Wisconsin can get a win here and continue playing uh, because it would be great to see Wisconsin get more reps for this team. Uh, I think it was very uh, heartening to see the way Wisconsin performed in the first round of this tournament the other day. Um, Elsewhere in college basketball in the state of Wisconsin, elsewhere uh, in NCAA basketball in the state of Wisconsin, Marquette, uh, which I know I have not talked a lot on this podcast in the Scotty Six Pack newsletter, uh, when it was really running at full throttle uh, much at all this year, uh, because I'm not a Marquette alum. Uh, I know that a lot of folks have some affinity for Marquette, but certainly the affinity for that university is smaller than it is for the University of Wisconsin. Regardless, um, Marquette has ascended to being a two-seed in the NCAA tournament and now plays in Columbus, Ohio on Friday in the First round of the NCAA tournament, uh, where the Golden Eagles will be playing the Vermont Catamounts at 1.45 p.m. Vermont is the champion of the America East, both regular season and tournament champions. And Vermont, frankly, uh, for those who might not know a lot about this program, runs the America East. They are the premier program in that conference. Vermont has been the regular season champion of the America East for seven straight seasons. And now the Catamounts are in the NCAA tournament for back-to-back seasons. I don't anticipate Marquette having much of a problem with this Vermont team, uh, but I would imagine that Shaka Smart, the head coach at Marquette, is trying to make sure that his team does not take this game uh, with any kind of uh, any kind of assumption that they're going to move on. Uh, because then after that, Marquette is going to have a much more challenging game, I would assume, against the winner of Michigan State USC. Uh, and Marquette will play the winner of that game on Sunday. These are both really solid teams. Both these teams have a top 50 offense and top 50 defense, according to Ken Palm. Uh, if Michigan State wins, the, the majority of, I think, the storyline for this game is going to be that Joey Hauser, who transferred out of Marquette, to then go to Michigan State, will be returning to face his former team. Uh, And that is going to be incredibly interesting. Uh, Of course, his brother Sam now plays for Marquette, 
who is playing in the uh, top half of this left-hand side of the bracket if you are staring at your March Madness bracket right now in the South region uh, is the number four seed Virginia in uh, the region where the number one seed overall is Alabama. If USC wins this game uh, and faces Marquette, provided Marquette is able to defeat Vermont in the first round of the tournament, uh, look out for Boogie Ellis. Boogie Ellis has been a fantastic player for USC for a number of years now. And right now, at this end of the season, Boogie Ellis is playing better than, I I shouldn't say better, but as good as, as well as, any guard in the country. Uh, Boogie Ellis has averaged 24.6 points per game in his last six games. Uh, Incredibly impressive. If, uh, to put that into perspective, that 24.6 per game, Darius McGee, who we talked about in the last part of this game, uh, Liberty's leading scorer, averages 22.6 points per game. That's fourth in the country. So Bookie Ellis has been performing incredibly well. Uh, he And he, regardless of Marquette uh, winning or losing, moving on to the Sweet 16 after getting out of this weekend, winning a pair of games or not, this has been a fantastic run for Marquette. Uh, this team has not won an NCAA tournament game in a decade. Uh, I believe that is going to end, that, that drought will end this week. Um, Marquette won the Big East, won the Big East tournament, absolutely smacking Xavier in the finals. And this has been an offensive juggernaut this season. Tyler Kolek is an incredible player for this team. And it's a real threat in a region that feels very wide open with the one seed being what feels like the weakest one seed. Of course, Purdue being the, the, the bottom one seed, the number four overall um, in this NCAA tournament. And so, uh, Isaac, tell me, I I know we talked about this a little bit, our our mom attended Marquette, and tell me about, you know, your your affinity for this Marquette team. I believe you told me you have uh, Marquette advancing to the finals in in this game. I have them marching all the way to the finals. I can go, I'll I'll go round by round real quick. So obviously, Mm. I have them over Vermont. Um, I have USC over Michigan State. I think Marquette can, can pull off the win there. Um... Uh, after that, they'll be in, in the Sweet 16. I have them against Kentucky. Um, as a Jayhawks fan, fuck Kentucky. Um, <laughs> so they're definitely... Um, just had to put them over there. Yeah. And then, like you said, Purdue being the weakest one seed. they I still have Purdue advance into the Elite Eight. But but after that, I think Marquette can, can knock them out uh, playing Baylor in the Final Four with, you know... Uh, losing to Kansas in the in the championship game, I think real can... real homer picks here for uh, one Isaac yeah, Stumbrus. It's, it's it's Kansas I... over Marquette, the national title game featuring both of our parents' college ah. choices. Uh, we'll it see. Was, it it was purely coincidental. It's let's, let's say look, that. it's one in two seats. You you can't rule it out. Yeah. Absolutely can. It's. You know, Marquette, you Marquette as a school, you see them fairly consistently in the tournament. Yeah, mm-hmm. their their performance is leaves much to be desired, but it's time for a win. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's overdue. It's about right. Um, so, in in terms of times for a win for programs in the NCAA tournament, let's talk the University of Wisconsin women's hockey. Isaac, I know you know how much I love this program. Yeah. Um, 
talking about uh, how much you love this program to some of my employees today, actually, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. The topic <laughs> of just watching sports came up, and then I talked about your love for, for Wisconsin women's hockey. I, I do love this team. Um, I love this team a whole ton. I have attended the Frozen Four in past years uh, to, to watch uh, the Wisconsin women's hockey team. And now they have a Frozen Four matchup in Duluth against the University of Minnesota, who I cannot wait to see lose in the Frozen Four this year uh, to Wisconsin. Uh, that game is going to be at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, for those who don't know, Wisconsin is now two wins away from winning a national title, from winning its seventh national title to break the tie with Minnesota for the most national titles in Division One women's hockey. Um, this is going to be the sixth game this year. One, two, three, four, five, six. Wait, this is wrong. One, two, three, four. No, the one, two, three, four. Oh, wait, yeah. No, never mind. That's right. Um, the sixth game against Minnesota this year. Um, and Wisconsin suffered its first regulation or overtime defeat to Minnesota this year in the semifinals of the conference tournament in the WCHA tournament, uh, of course, coming at a poor time where then uh, Minnesota went on to defeat Ohio State in the final round of the WCHA conference tournament. Um, and honestly, uh, like like I said to you, Isaac, just before this, uh, I have a great affinity for this program. I also have a great affinity for this rivalry um, between the Wisconsin and Minnesota women's hockey teams. I really believe that this is one of the best rivalries, not just in women's sports, not just in hockey, but in sports, period, hands down. And that comes from a guy who, like, is a fan of the Green Bay Packers, which also has one of the greatest rivalries in sports with, of course, the Chicago Bears. Not to even mention, you know... Badgers and Gophers football teams. Yeah, too. yeah, which is the most played rivalry in college football. Um, and so I don't want to talk myself up too big here, but I, I think I have a pretty good grip on what is a good rivalry and what is not. Um, but Wisconsin and Minnesota women's hockey teams, as I kind of mentioned before, they have come, they have six national championships, a peach, a, a piece that is tied for the most all time. Um, these two teams have met six times in the Frozen Four semifinals and championship game altogether, six times. And these two teams have met seven times in the NCAA tournament altogether since the year 2012. Uh, in the Frozen Four semifinals, Wisconsin is 0-3 in the semifinal matchups. However, 2-1 in the championship games, including uh, the 2019 title game, when Wisconsin snapped its, like, uh, it was five or six year title drought, you know, of course, really, really long title drought, not going uh, five years without winning a national title. Uh, very brutal, but this is going to be a fantastic game. Um, I, I'm sure most will be tuning into, uh, NCAA tournament basketball action, uh, around 6 PM that, that night, that Friday night, but turn on ESPN plus hit that second monitor, hit your phone. Uh, I always am able to get the, the bar that I go to. Uh, to turn on this Wisconsin hockey game that they are so often playing in on the same weekend of the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, get at least one screen on this game because it's uh, it's big deal. And eventually everyone 
tunes in and gets really entrenched into this game, uh, and it's great. If Wisconsin is able to win this semifinal game against Minnesota on Friday night, they will advance to the championship game at 3 p.m. Sunday. That will be televised on ESPNU, and Wisconsin will play either Northeastern or Ohio State. Both fantastic teams. Ohio State, of course, being the defending national champion, uh, headlined by Sophie Jacques, who is a Patty Kazmaier Award finalist. The Patty Kazmaier Award being given to the best player in uh, college hockey each year. Uh, and this is the back-to-back year, the second year in a row, for Sophie Jacques being a finalist for the Patty Kaz. Uh, Ohio State is the WCHA regular season champion and runner-up to Minnesota in the final face-off in the conference tournament. Northeastern, headlined by Alina Mueller, who is another Patty Kaz finalist, Oh my goodness. If you do not follow women's college hockey, tune in just to watch Alina Mueller. She is fantastic. She is perhaps the best player in college hockey, you know, given by the fact that she is a top three finalist for the award given to the best player in college hockey. Um, Alina is phenomenal. Uh, Northeastern is undefeated in every game in which she records a point and uh, just an an incredible stick handler, an incredible scorer, an incredible teammate. Uh, She is fantastic to watch for Northeastern. Uh, Of course, Northeastern being the team that Wisconsin defeated in the 2021 National Championship game. Uh, I cannot wait for this Frozen Four. Oh my goodness, Uh, I will be gut-wrenched if Wisconsin loses to Minnesota, but that's just the way that this goes. Um, I've talked before on this podcast how this is an unusual Wisconsin team where the national champion-type programs for this team are typically headlined by big leading scorers, uh, a la Annie Pankowski, who defeated Minnesota in the last meeting between these two teams in a national title game. Um, But I I think there's a lot to be said here about what Wisconsin has been able to do despite finishing third in the conference this year behind uh, Minnesota and Ohio State. I think this is going to be a really exciting uh, Frozen Four. Isaac, I know that most of your fandom through this team has occurred, you know, through me. Uh, But, you know, tell, tell me a little bit about what it means to, to at least like, watch, kind of, I assume you watch, like, the title game. Yeah, and least. watching, watching you know, women's college hockey and women's hockey in general, you know, you don't have the hits that you have in, in men's hockey. And it just, it forces these women to be so technically skilled in a way that you don't just, ne- you don't necessarily see from men's hockey sometimes. And it's just an impressive feat and every single one of these women, you know, they work their asses off and don't necessarily get the same recognition when they're, you know, in some aspects definitely, you know, more skilled than the men and you can see it in the games and that's what makes yeah. it so exciting. And I, and, and I don't think that it even is to say that this is not a physical game between mm-hmm. the women. I mean, look at players it's, like it's a technical game. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, even look at players like Abby Rock who used to play for Wisconsin, one of the most aggressive physical players in, in the history of that program, and and made a mark for herself as not just a physical aggressor, but also a scorer. I remember being at 
one of the last tournament games uh, before 2019 that Wisconsin played against Minnesota uh, as as well, played Minnesota in the first round, and Abby Rock scored twice in one shift. Uh, that was a player who led, oh man, I don't remember if I'm going to get this right, but I don't think it was in the same seasons, but at different points in time, led Wisconsin in penalty minutes, and then later led Wisconsin in points. Um, this is, women's hockey can be an incredibly physical game, um, and you can say that it's a non-collision sport, but it absolutely still is a contact sport, and uh, I am always intrigued by the conversations that say checking should be allowed in this game, um, and I'm definitely not against it, uh, but I, I, I am just hoping that Wisconsin can even though they are certainly not favored in this year's Frozen Four, uh, the one you know non-seeded team to make it here, uh, knocking off Colgate in the uh, in, in the regional final this year, uh, so to not be the seeded team that makes it here outside of Northeastern Ohio State, and Minnesota, which of course won their own regionals that they hosted. Uh, so Wisconsin not going to be favored in this regional matchup. But I, I would really hope to see Wisconsin take home the title. I think it would c- cement, it, it, I mean, in already tremendous legacy for head coach Mark Johnson uh, to bring this team that struggled throughout uh, the midpoint of this year. You know, taking some tough a tough loss to Quinnipiac, taking back to back tough losses to Minnesota Duluth uh, in Madison this year. Uh, and and really make it and say, hey, we can turn this team into an absolute powerhouse, even if we don't have you know a top tier leading scorer. This team powered by uh, some really great great freshmen this year, um, and I think it would just be phenomenal to see this team win the title. Uh, title, I mean, to see Caroline Harvey win a title in her first year in Madison uh, would be fantastic. But even if uh, she doesn't get the job done this year, I, I think. Caroline Harvey is not leaving Madison without a title. That's that's for sure. Um, moving on to more basketball, uh, but in the professional basketball arena. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have two games coming up this weekend. Uh, Milwaukee is up two and a half games on Boston in the East. And Milwaukee has absolutely been rolling since losing those back-to-back games all the way back in January. Since then, Milwaukee has won 21 of their past 23 games. Milwaukee has won five of six in their last six games and now has two home games this weekend. Of course, first against the Indiana Pacers, uh, who are 12th in the East, and that game will be at 7 p.m. televised on Valley Sports Wisconsin. And then on Sunday, uh, the Bucks play the Toronto Raptors after the off day on Saturday. Uh, the Raptors are ninth in the East, so teetering on that kind of play-in game area. Uh, and that game will be at 7 p.m. televised on Valley Sports Wisconsin and NBA TV. They, in terms of the injury report for the Bucks, uh, Giannis is off overall. Uh, we have not seen any injury reports for either his, of course, extensive you know knee soreness, knee rest needing, uh, or that hand injury that he suffered uh, just before the All Star break, uh, where he slapped that backboard pretty damn hard. Um, Grayson Allen is going to be out for this game today against Indiana uh, with plantar fascia soreness. And then Goran Dragic 
and Brooke Lopez are both questionable with uh, a left knee soreness for Gordon Trojic and a left ankle soreness for Brooke Lopez. Uh, that means that I think we are going to see some more of Myers Leonard, who, after being signed to back-to-back 10-day contracts, has been signed for the Bucks roster for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't think we've talked about Myers Leonard on this podcast before pretty much, uh, but I made my feelings about his initial signing pretty clear on Twitter, uh, which you can follow me at Kendrick Stumbrus. Uh, I didn't love it, uh, but he's probably going to get solid bench minutes in this game overall, and we'll see what he looks like uh, tonight against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, he's been solid for the Bucks thus far, and we'll see what this overall looks like. Um as for our last story today to top off the six-pack is Valley Sports Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> who knows what it is going to look like in the near future because Valley Sports has declared bankruptcy. Uh, this was expected before. Um, and Valley Sports with Sinclair Broadcasting Group has been anticipating to declare bankruptcy for a while now. They owe a lot of money on media rights deals to the NBA, to the MLB, uh, to continue airing uh, these games for uh, their respective markets in these regional sports networks. Uh, And this is going to affect a lot of teams, but I think what's important to know as sports fans overall, just as fans, is that it does not seem that this bankruptcy declaration is going to affect fans' ability to view games. This is not going to affect the Bucks or the Brewers' ability to televise their games in local markets. Uh, This seems to be more of a restructuring for Valley Sports, as many of these bankruptcy deals tend to be. And we're going to see what that restructuring looks like. It seems like Valley Sports will ultimately uh, spin off from Sinclair Entertainment altogether and become its own um, media regional sports network conglomerate unless um, the MLB, the NBA, decide to take on these media rights deals themselves and perhaps fold them into uh, greater streaming licensing packages within MLB TV, within uh, NBA TV altogether, which there has been some chatter about as well. Uh, but I, I think it's been I think it's important to top off this podcast episode just by saying, hey, Bucks fans, hey, Brewers fans, you might see this Belly Sports Wisconsin news. You might see that your TV provider for your favorite teams is declaring bankruptcy. But I do not believe that it is going to cause an interruption in your ability to watch these teams. Um, Isaac, I know that it has been kind of a uh, contentious topic of conversation in our family as a uh, Hulu TV subscribers <laughs> um, who do not get um, the Valley Sports Regional Sports Networks uh, to be able to watch these games. Uh, so, kind of <laughs> tell me about your your experience trying to watch games over the last year year and a half. I mean, um, if you what it looks like now. if you don't have access to your favorite team. I would not advertise pirating streams, but 
Some people pirate streams, and I'm sure this podcast does not condone any illegal activities such as pirate streams. No, certainly not. Yeah. Um, I personally would never participate in such a heinous act that is breaking the law. Absolutely not. Um, but it's just... Sit at your favorite bar and have some beers and watch the game. It's what I do with my friends. <laughs> it's about all you can do when uh, you have Hulu TV or YouTube TV or literally any other cable provider, it seems, besides, uh, I, I mean, I would Spectrum. say... Spectrum. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know who all carries Bally. Um, Bally came together to provide its own yearly streaming package, which is not frankly that expensive but seemed to be a last-ditch effort to get people to uh give that network some cash and in retrospect they seem to need it yeah they absolutely do um and i have other people who have reached out to me over the last 24 hours simply asking i paid for a valley sports online subscription what does this mean for my ability to watch my team um, and it does not seem that these regional sports networks are themselves providing great answers. So I think it's important that um, us as uh, content creators, you know, trusted reporters, which I'm not saying I am that because I certainly am nothing near a reporter, um, but um, folks who have some kind of public following, some kind of public trust are able to tell folks around them that uh, this is going to be fine. We're, we're going to be able to watch our teams and it's all going to be good. All right, well, that feels like a good place to cut this off. Um, Isaac, do you have anything you would like to plug to the people? Um, donate uh, to Jersey Mike Subs for the month of giving. Um, if you donate at any of the five locations in Sheboygan, Beaver Dam, Fond du Lac, Nina, or Oshkosh, promise you you can get a uh for every five dollar donation you'll get a coupon for a free regular sub all donations go to make a wish of wisconsin and you get a free sub out of the deal if if there's anybody possibly listening to this podcast who does not understand what a sheboygan beaver dam etc is uh those are towns in wisconsin uh, <laughs> as strangely named as they may seem um those are real places they just happen to be in the state of wisconsin so uh fantastic thank you for uh enjoying your time with me as much as you could isaac uh i really appreciate it i think this is a uh, great tradition that uh, we are now two years running on in terms of watching uh, the second day of the first four together and uh now the one year tradition alongside of it of recording this episode of the podcast together so uh that is all for today's edition of the scani six-pack podcast uh follow us on apple spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast to start every day with everything you need to know in wisconsin sports thank you for listening this has been our weekend preview episode we will be back on Monday morning, wrapping up everything we saw over the weekend, hopefully wrapping up a Marquette trip to the Sweet 16, wrapping up a Wisconsin Badgers National Championship, uh, and two Bucks wins along top of that. Uh, so I've been your host, Kedrick Stumbers, on Wisconsin. <laughs>